Welcome to episode 122 of Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm your host, Jesse Bartholomew. I'm doing something new for today. I'm starting a new series. I think I'm just going to call it A Century Ago in Kentucky. And so every once in a while, I'll go through newspapers and just pull out some articles that I think are entertaining or interesting or just a sign of the times and a way to give you an idea of what it was like being alive in Kentucky 100 years ago. So for this first segment, I've looked at papers all from August of 1923, and I'll be covering stuff from all over the state and I think a little bit of southern Indiana as well. Uh, For this episode in particular, I will give a warning. This one is going to include multiple articles involving the KKK and uh, some violence. So if that's not something you want to listen to today, I don't blame you. Uh, Just skip this one for now. All right, let's get started. Dry raids made in four counties. Stills and Mash destroyed in Marion, Green, Nelson, and Pulaski. Operators are arrested. Seven stills, copper worms, fermenters, and still equipment were seized and destroyed, and two men were arrested by federal prohibition agents directed by U.G. McFarland, working out of the state prohibition offices here in Marion, Green, and Nelson counties the past week, according to reports received by Prohibition Director Sam Collins. The raiding party composed of McFarland, his son, C.H. McFarland, J.W. Phillips, and C.W. Bowling, worked up the waters of Beach Fork, seizing still equipment, beer, and bottles three miles south of Fredericksburg. An 80-gallon copper still with cap, worm, a thousand gallons of still beer and equipment was destroyed on the headwaters of Brush Creek near Mount Sherman, Greene County. In the same vicinity, the officers destroyed a 90-gallon still with cap and worm and mash and arrested Ivy Ford on a charge of illegally possessing and operating a moonshine still. He gave $250 bond for appearance at the Louisville term of federal court. On Pottinger Creek, five miles north of Loretto, Marion County, the officers with Harry Thurman seized an 80-gallon still with worm and 2,000 gallons of beer. A warrant charging possessing and operating was issued for the arrest of Will Blanford. Two 90-gallon stills and one 75-gallon one with copper worms and caps and a total of 4,000 gallons of still beer were seized at three different points on Brush Creek near Mount Sherman, Greene County. Prohibition agent David M. Carter with George Calhoun, deputy sheriff of Pulaski County, reported the seizure of two 50-gallon fermenters, one 15-gallon still and worm in a woodland near Canetown, Pulaski County. A 30-gallon still with equipment was seized by the same officers at a spring on J.M. Gaines's farm near Nancy. Gaines, with his son Earl, were placed in the Pulaski County Jail at Somerset on charges of possessing and operating moonshine stills. Man kills wife, cuts his throat, Angered when she refused to take youngest child to work with her, seven children left. Bowling Green. Angry because his wife would not take their eight-month-old baby with her to work, but left the child in his care, Martin Shrum, 45 years old, of Boxtown, Allen County, Friday shot and killed her as she fled from him after a fight 
and later took his own life with a razor, according to word received here. Mrs. Shrum, who was 35 years old and had the care of seven children, ranging in age from eight months to 14 years, was employed as a laundress. When the quarrel over the child arose, her husband struck her with a broom handle, according to the reports. She ran, and he pursued with a single-barrel shotgun, firing once and missing. Mrs. Shrum fell to the ground, and her husband, having reloaded, shot her in the back while she was down. He then returned to the house and cut his jugular vein twice. Husband in jail, wife joins him, Lexington. Mrs. Flora Barr of Boyle County, wife of Willard Barr, both of whom were arrested Thursday night by federal prohibition agents on charges of possessing and transporting whiskey, refused to leave her husband today and remained in the Fayette County Jail, although the charges against her were dismissed. She took a baby with her. Barr was held to the federal grand jury. Five gallons of moonshine whiskey were found in an auto driven by Barr when he was arrested. Shooting Squirrels in Beach Suit, Bard. G.P. Powell, Assistant General Superintendent of the Louisville Railway Company, spent his vacation camping on the Cumberland River near Waitsboro, Kentucky. For two weeks, he lived in a bathing suit, he says, hunting and fishing. One day, he set out upon his daily search for squirrels, attired only in bathing trunks and jersey, and carrying a shotgun. A native scout spied him and decided that this certainly was neither a revenue officer nor a sensible person. He called aid for members of his clan, and a posse from the community Minutemen surrounded the hunter. The leader addressed Mr. Powell. Stranger, what's the matter with you? An explanation satisfied the investigators that the hunter was partially sane, but the leader was still unsatisfied. Stranger, he said, we don't mind anybody shooting squirrels, but by gad, if you want to shoot squirrels in this woods, you've got to wear clothes. The next couple articles I pulled are uh, to give a glimpse of what women were up to in 1923, aside from keeping their husband's company in prison. Um, so one will be about uh, women's involvement uh, at the state fair and what they were doing there. And then I'll read you a couple want ads uh, for employment opportunities for women in August of 1923. So this first one says, Women arrange fair program. Visitors at fairgrounds are to be welcomed by club leaders. Conservation is topic. Every day at the state fair this year will be Club Women's Day as at the Kentucky Women's Federation tent. Entertaining and instructive tent talks are being arranged for each day by the Louisville Women's Club under the leadership of Mrs. George H. Webb, chairman of the Women's Division of the State Fair and governor of the Federated Clubs of the Fifth District. Every Louisville club will form part of hostess groups, which will be on duty each day to welcome representatives from every federated or non-federated women's club in Kentucky. 
Tuesday of Fair Week, officially designated Women's Club Day, has been set aside as Conservation Day, and an interesting program will be given, bearing on the topic, Kentucky and her natural resources. George Colvin, Superintendent of Public Instruction, and Tom Wallace, Chief Editorial Writer of The Times, are announced as speakers for this occasion. Music for this program will be in charge of Carl Schmidt. Miss Louise C. Morell, Field Director of Women's City Club, will be Chairman of Registrations with a coterie of local assistants. Resources are studied. The present State Chairman of Conservation of Natural Resources, Miss Anne L. Gullion of Carrollton, has, during her incumbency in office, concentrated the efforts of the division toward increasing popular interest in two outstanding aims. First, legislation for a state forestry or conservation department. Second, arousing interest in Mammoth Cave as a national park. Bearing on the crisis that now exists in the history of the Mammoth Cave, the Conservation Division offered the following resolution, which was adopted by the last State Federation Convention. Mammoth Cave as Park. Resolved that the Kentucky Delegation in Congress is request requested to prepare and present during the next session of Congress a bill authorizing the purchase of Mammoth Cave as a national park. A letter embodying this resolution to be forwarded to each congressman and senator of the state of Kentucky. So I thought this was interesting because this is 1923. Um, a group forms in 1924, the Mammoth Cave National Park Association, and they're the more formal group that gets the ball rolling on getting this done. But I just thought it was interesting that this early on, this women's group is talking about this and that women are actually in positions like, uh, what was it? Um, state chairman of conservation of natural resources. For that to be a position held by a woman, I thought was interesting. Um, as you all probably know, or some of you probably know, Mammoth Cave didn't actually become a national park until 1941. And then here's a sample of a couple of job opportunities for, for women, uh, and this is from the Courier Journal, so this is all in Louisville for the most part. Woman, middle-aged, Catholic, for housework, in small family, one without home preferred, no laundry work. Woman, as housekeeper for lady, suburban home, permanent place for right party, references required. Woman, white, reliable, to do cooking and housework for family of three, small flat, comfortable home, good wages. Woman, white, housekeeper and cook, must have experience, five in family, $50 per month. Physical health means beauty. Health and beauty go hand in hand. Where the system is run down, the face drawn and haggard, the body limp and lifeless, beauty is missing. Looks of pity supplant those that might have been gazes of admiration. Restore your health and beauty will take care of herself. SSS, the rich blood builder, rekindles the spark of health and lights the blaze of beauty by building red blood cells. The nerve power of your system finds life in these very blood cells. Build more red blood cells and your nerve power will increase. 
SSS builds them. Rich blood will tingle through your system. That lost charm will return. Your entire system will be repaired. You'll be ready to cope with the impurities and blemishes that handicap beauty. As physical health means beauty, so too does SSS mean beauty. For SSS means systems that are free from impurities, pimples, blackheads, acne, boils, eczema, rheumatism. SSS and good health go hand in hand. SSS is made of pure vegetable ingredients. It's sold at all good drugstores. The large size bottle is more economical. Wanted. Married men, two as salesmen, experience not essential, advancement on merit, references and bond required. Wanted. Real estate salesman for the Highlands. Must be high class man with machine. A good proposition to the right party. See Mr. McCoy, McCoy Realty Company. Attention farmers. Owing to the great immigration of Negros North, we have been forced to cut up our large fertile plantations in the Mississippi Delta, Louisiana, into small well-improved farms with a view of renting or selling them to white farmers on favorable terms. Healthy location, good schools, the greatest opportunity to buy or rent homes, the Negro exodus will make the South the coming country for the white farmers with her cheaper lands and milder climate. Wanted. Young men between ages of 20 and 25 who can do good impersonation of Charlie Chaplin. Apply immediately, Director Malcolm Fassett Company, Macaulay's Theater. Wanted. Detectives needed everywhere. Good pay. Interesting work. Experience? Unnecessary. Write International Detective Exchange, Chicago Clark Building, Chicago, Illinois. Wanted. Automobile salesmen. Married men, between 25 and 40, must be hard workers, reliable, and good salesmen. References. Permanent positions. Wanted. Biggest moneymaker yet. Operators raking in $35 to $70 daily with portable sugar puff waffle machines. Sent on trial. Wanted. Boy or man to take care of boy who is restless. Good home for right party. References required. Wanted. A number of stout white men to cut grass and to do light gardening work. Apply in person. Superintendent's office. Cave Hill Cemetery. At last, world's greatest adding machine, almost human. Retails, $15. Work equals $300 machine. $500 monthly, easily made, demonstrating to stores, offices, garages, factories. Simple, easy. Adds, subtracts, multiplies, divides automatically. Speedy, accurate, durable, handsome. Five-year guarantee, tremendous demand, amazing profits liberal trial offer. All right, so now you have a little bit of an idea of what jobs were available in Louisville in 1923 and who met the requirements to apply for those jobs, which is always interesting. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit, and I've collected a couple articles um, all through the month of August in 1923 
Um, and these are these take place all over the state, um, just of clan activity, what they were up to, their recruiting practices, and then also what some officials were doing to denounce them or stop them. So the first one, I think there's a typo in the headline. I think it's supposed to say clan interest back of meeting. Um, it says hold two assemblages at Central City denounced by mayor. And this is in uh, Central City, Kentucky. Prevented holding a meeting in the courthouse where he drew a crowd of curious persons intermingled with some followers of the movement he was promoting. A paid organizer for a secret organization said to be a subsidiary of the Ku Klux Klan, but not adhering to its practice of wearing masks, held a meeting tonight in a park near the courthouse. It was the second gathering of the week promoted by this organizer, a former one having been held in the courthouse Thursday night. No official interference has been offered these meetings, and none will be, according to Mayor Lonnie Jackson, so long as the men meeting do not conceal their identity by the use of hoods or masks and do not violate any laws of the city, state, or nation. It is understood that the organizer here or one of his cohorts will enter Madisonville Monday, where the Kiwanis Club is reported to have passed resolutions denouncing masked meetings and called upon officials to prevent them. What headway has been made here in getting recruits to the mysterious organization is not known. Upon the appearance of organizers here for the organization supposed to be the Klan, Mayor Jackson was asked to prevent meetings of this sort. He replied with a scathing denunciation of the Klan, pointing out to members of the United Mine Workers of the district of which he is the president, that membership in it would bring expulsion from the union under its constitution. He declared that the officials of this city would not interfere with any meeting where men met openly, but no meeting would be allowed where men go hooded or masked. Mayor Jackson's statement said, in part, I'm going to stand by the Constitution of the United Mine Workers and will make an effort to have every man, member of the United Mine Workers, who joins the Ku Klux Klan expelled according to our laws. I know it will be argued by supporters of the Klan that when you tell the American people they cannot do something, that is the time they're going to do it. But the American people have always been told that they cannot do the thing that is wrong and may the time never come when some American will not have the courage to tell any man that he cannot do the thing that is wrong. I realize if a man wishes to defend the Ku Klux Klan, he will have a right to do so. Furthermore, I believe if a man condemns them, he also has the same privilege. I am convinced they are a menace to the American principles of to society, to organized labor, and the advancement of Christianity. Therefore, I would be a moral coward not to condemn the tactics of this clan, and I will continue to do so until I am convinced I am wrong, or unless I am stopped by mob violence, as I do not intend to be stopped in a fair fight or a man-to-man -man proposition. The Constitution of the United States provides that something, one shall worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience, in my opinion, it is unlawful for any church or set of believers in God to join any organization that will stifle the efforts of other believers. So uh, he, he was kind of a long-winded guy, but it sounds like his head was kind of in the right place, right? Um, so I thought that was an interesting one. And then the next one I have 
is about a rally held in Logan County. 4,000 at Ku Klux rally in Logan County. 50 apply for membership after Lawfer speaks. And this is in Russellville. What was said to be one of the largest Ku Klux Klan demonstrations ever held in Kentucky took place Thursday night on the public square in the presence of 4,000 persons. The bandstand was decorated profusely in American flags and bunting. A red electric cross, six feet long, was raised to the top of the flagpole and could be seen for miles. A speech was made by the Reverend Mr. Lawfer, Methodist minister, recently arrested in Lexington and placed in jail for addressing a Klan meeting, who filled the engagement for the Reverend Mr. Farrell, who was absent on account of his wife's illness. Mr. Farrell spoke here in June and was asked to return last night. The crowd on both occasions was orderly. Mr. Lawfer spoke two hours, had absolute attention of the crowd, and was applauded and cheered throughout. There is no opposition to the Klan here, and it is growing fast in Logan County, with a membership now of about 1,800. More than 50 signed application cards last night for membership. I'll just do one more about the Klan, and this one does take place in Louisville. The headline reads, 100 Klansmen Burn Cross in Market Street Building. 100 members of the Ku Klux Klan last night held a meeting in Falls City Hall on Market Street near 12th Street. At the same time, it was announced that new offices for the Klan in Louisville had been opened in room 307 in the Strand Theater Building on Chestnut Street. The offices were dark last night, but a reporter gained admission to the anteroom of the hall where the meeting was held. Two men, wearing the insignia Klegel, were busy wiring together a small cross when the reporter entered. A man who gave his name as Richard T. Jones insisted that the reporter leave the place, saying that non-members were not welcome at the meetings. Afterwards, it was apparent that the cross was burned during the meeting, as observers through the drawn shades of the windows of the third floor of the hall, where the Klansmen met, saw a flash of light which burned for several minutes. Patrolman Lionel Orwick watched the Klan disperse at the end of the meeting at 11 o'clock without comment. So just in case there are any listeners who don't know why the Klan burns the cross, uh, I'm going to quote here from an article from Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, quote, as the Klan grew in numbers and influence, cross burning became an important ritual of group solidarity. At Klan gatherings, members dressed in hoods sang Onward Christian Soldiers and the Old Rugged Cross. Crosses were burned not only at lynchings, but also more generally to terrorize African Americans, Roman Catholics, Jews, and others hated by the Klan. As the Klan declined in the late 1920s and 1930s, intimidation became the primary but not exclusive use of the cross. And I didn't want to end and leave you guys on such a negative note. So I'm going to read one more. I think it's funny. The people involved at the time probably didn't think it was very funny. But this one is from Columbus, Indiana, but was reported in the Courier Journal. On August 26, 1923, woman is fined $10 for fortune telling. Pleading guilty to a charge of fortune telling for hire in city court here yesterday, 
Mrs. Sarah Newbank, an aged widow of this city, was fined $10 and cost by Mayor E.A. Tucker. The charge was filed by Carl Marsh, against whom his wife has a divorce suit pending and who he alleges had her fortune told by Mrs. Newbank. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Kentucky History and Haunts. I hope you guys don't think that this is like a cop-out, me just reading these articles to you. You have to understand that the work of actually browsing through all these newspapers to find the interesting bits and pieces, I mean, I really enjoy doing it, but it's still a lot of work and it is time consuming. So I appreciate you listening and I do hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'll bring this style of, of podcasting back from time to time where I just collect the articles. Um, I have another episode. I think it should be coming out before August is over. Hopefully that's the plan. Um, while I was going through the papers, I found three true crime stories that played out over the course of August and even further into the year. So I'm going to kind of pick those out in another episode and give you three true crime stories that you've probably never heard before. So stay tuned for that. Leave a review if you haven't already. And thanks for listening. Until next time. Whiskey, pipe to bar from roof. Rating officers follow rum line to supply tank in Wenzel Street chimney. Police became suspicious yesterday when they found a copper pipe leading to the bar and the soft drink stand of Herbert Reitzel, 24 years old, 416 South Wenzel Street. The pipe was traced to the second floor and from there to the roof where it led to the chimney. An inspection of the chimney disclosed a three-gallon copper tank filled with moonshine whiskey. Reitzel was arrested and charged with possessing whiskey. The soft drink stand of James Duncan, 25, 532 South Jackson Street, was raided by police yesterday and the officers had begun to despair of finding any evidence when one of them noticed a part of the wallpaper to be of lighter color than the rest. The paper was removed and 23 half pints of whiskey found in an aperture in the wall. A charge of possessing liquor was placed against Duncan. Miss Ida Winchell, 46 years old, 634 South 6th Street, was arrested yesterday on a charge of possessing intoxicating liquor when police raided her home and found a complete bottling outfit in her cellar. Besides the apparatus, 50 quarts of homebrew and a thousand empty bottles were found. Scott Durham and Charles Myers, 26, were arrested yesterday when police raided the latter's soft drink stand at 4th and Avery Streets and found half a pint of whiskey. Myers was charged with possessing whiskey and Durham was charged with being drunk in a public space and breach of the peace when he was found asleep on a pool table in the place. 